could shine between the lines if you would let yourself go find some place you know you can use your words use your hands you can change the world just pretend express yourself take a chance and you'll see who you'll be it's time to express yourself where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. We cannot live only for ourselves. A thousand fibers connect us with our fellow men. And among those fibers, as sympathetic threads, our actions run as causes, and they come back to us as effects. And this is from Herman Melville. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice, right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Brigitte Gia, and the theme for our show today is the gift of connection. And I'm Zara Hossaman. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit www.bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation and get more information about how you can be a part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. Be The Star You Are has launched Operation Disaster Relief, Uh, We need your donations to help us help those in distress by providing books and other resources. Please donate today at bethestarur.org. You can even donate through PayPal, giving fund with no additional fees. So in our first segment about uh, connection today, Zara is bringing in her segment, Hope Heals. Uh, And since this segment is wonderfully question-based, I will go ahead and ask the first question. So Zara, uh, what do you think is the connection between hope and connecting with others. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, when you do connect with others or, you know, connect with people or even connect with things or nature or whatever, um, I think that really just in itself gives you hope because it really just tells you that, you know, you're not alone in whatever you're doing. So whether it's, you know, the, like if you're making a connection with a book or something like that, then that when you read that book, oftentimes why people like a book is because they see their own like, they can make some sort of connection with it, like, from their own life. They see, like, their own life mirrored in the book's plot and a book's character. Um, so, I mean, that's, like, one reason. Um, and, you know, just, like, an example from my own life of how, you know, connection really does um, give you hope in terms of, like, human connection. Um, I remember when I entered, like, high school, um, I really, like, I wasn't really involved in a lot of things. I was pretty, I was pretty shy in a lot of ways. Um and I didn't really, like, have a community or anything, but then I really connected with, um, like, the Latin community in my school. So in my school, they offer, like, the language Latin, not, like, Latin American, but, like, the language Latin. Um, and so I got really involved in the Latin club, and I made a connection with a lot of the people in Latin club. And throughout my high school career, I think that really gave me a lot of hope that, you know, I wasn't, the, I wasn't you know, alone in any way. Um, and, you know, I think that's really vital for life in general is to sort of try to make those connections with people because otherwise it gets really lonely. It gets really hard to, you know, find any enthusiasm or any drive to really do anything. And I think once I, you know, made a connection with people in Latin Club, that's really when I started, like, um, 
I guess, like, blossoming as a person in high school. Um, so, yeah, that's my view. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. Uh, we really do, as humans, need that support base and uh, that that communal interest that we share with others so that we can connect with them and, uh, you know, help out our own lives by connecting with them. And so, Zara, uh, why, and, uh, why do you think it's especially important with us uh, to try and connect with one another in today's world? Um, well, I think, like, you know, one of the main reasons is because it seems these days that we are just sort of in, like, a, like we have, like, a hope deficit, you know what I mean? Like, um, it just kind of seems like, you know, uh, there's just, like, one disaster happening after another, and this is that, whether it's a natural disaster or whether it's, like, you know, a political disaster or whatever. And in this year's, I think we're just so divided in general, um, whether it be politically or just globally or culturally. Um, and it's so easy, I think, to, like, villainize the other, to villainize, you know, whether it's the other side of the political spectrum or the other, you know, person who's not in your, in, uh, you know, the community that you made a connection with or whatever. Like, it's like, you know, I might take Latin and not like, well, I mean, obviously I like the people that take French and Spanish and all, but, like, <laughs> maybe I don't have the same interests as them, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to, like, villainize them. I'm going to try to make a connection with them. Um, and I think that's really vital in today's world, and if we can't really find a way to make a connection with people, then, I mean, it's really all just going to, everything's just going to crumble because, I mean, that's really how you sustain life is making a connection with others is through, you know, making not only your viewpoint heard, but listening to other people's viewpoints. Um, and I think, you know, maybe in the short term sometimes, like, we think that sometimes if we're, like, too nice to, like, our supposed enemies or, like, you know, the people on the wrong side, that sends not strong enough message. Um, and that, you know, we're sort of, like, giving up on, like, our whatever our agenda was or, you know, like, politically or personally or whatever. Um, but I think in the long run, like, every, like, change always comes from, you know, when people, like, compromise a little bit, when people, like, hear each other out instead of, like, villainizing each other um, and, like, not making that connection. So, yeah, that's why I think, especially in today's world, uh, making that connection is really important. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, there is that uh, that us and them mentality that uh, we sometimes apply to people who don't agree with us or people who don't follow in the same uh, idea path as we do. And it does indeed end in us dehumanizing them and them dehumanizing us and removing kind of our, our persons and treating each other as these nameless and faceless entities that are just uh, representative of hate and disgust and everything awful. And yeah. I definitely, I agree with you there that communication is uh, and connection is really the key to dissipating this this nameless entity sort of uh, way of thinking. And so, uh, Zara, just to change the tone a little bit, um, are there any artists or historical figures or, you know, people in general that you personally have felt a strong connection to? Um, yeah, I think um, first and foremost, well, a couple of artists um, and, like, writers and stuff. Um, so one of my favorite, uh, like, Rappers, and in addition to that, poets is Tupac, um, who's like an old school rapper. And I really like, you know, the first time like I heard his music, I really had like, I felt a really strong connection to him. And the thing is, like, you might, I mean, I think some people think that's kind of strange because it's like, well, I mean, you know, like I'm 
someone who lived, like, I'm a kid who lives in a suburb who, you know, is not an African-American male rapping about police brutality, so, like, how could I feel, like, a connection to Tupac's music? And I think it's because, like, there's something about the way that he, like, articulates, like, the human condition, something about the way that he articulates that we really have to care for each other and make connections between each other um, that really, like, got to me. And I think it transcends any, like, circumstance or experience that, like, either of, of us have had. And I think that's kind of the beauty about making connections, whether it's, you know, with an artist, the book, with nature or whatever, um, is that it sort of transcends circumstance. Um, and it's something that's sort of like, it almost seems like there's really no explanation for why you feel such a strong connection to the thing you do feel a strong connection to. Um, in the same way, I've also felt a really strong connection to Langston Hughes, um, who's a famous poet. Um, and, you know, that also, like, because, like, most people, you know, they'll read his poems, and they'll, it, his poems seem a little bit, like, simplistic sometimes. Like, none of them are really more than, like, six lines long, or most of them really aren't. Um, and so, like, you know, you'll read it, and you'll say, oh, well, that was a nice poem, but, like, there's nothing, <laughs> you don't really feel like that great of a connection. But I think, like, the reason I felt the connection was Langston Hughes was because, like, in, you know, in a world where we have to read, like, 300 pages, like, of a book, every week or every two weeks or whatever, it's kind of nice to just have, like, a couple lines that are really concise that, like, are deep and concise, and that's kind of why I like Langston Hughes and why I felt a connection with him. Um, And, yeah, in terms of historical figures, um, one of my favorite historical figures is an abolitionist named John Brown. Um, And he's not really your typical abolitionist. Um, He was, like actually, like, called for, like, violent revolution. Um, and people kind of freak out when, you know, I say that. They're like, oh, like, why do you why do you feel such a strong connection with, like, a terrorist? But, like, you know, in my view, it wasn't that he was a terrorist. Like, you know, if you're going to try to end slavery, you're going to have to do it in some bloody way. And it ended up being, <laughs> we ended up, you know, ending slavery in a bloody way anyways. Um, and so I really liked basically how, like, committed he was to the cause and how unafraid he was to, you know, like, be really candid about how we needed to um, end, like, our nation's biggest, really, plague. Um, so that's kind of why. And I just think, like, the, the zeal and all of those, like, all, all the people I've named so far, and John Brown and Langston Hughes um, and in Tupac, and all of them, it was just, like, the zeal was just there, and there's something, like, about them that kind of made them, like, attractive to, like, anyone, no matter what their views on slavery or rap music or poetry. Um, But, yeah, I think that's sort of, that's where the beauty of connection lies. And I think um, just because, you know, like, maybe, like, um, I've made a connection with, like, those three people, but, like, um, I know sometimes I don't get the connection that other people make with, like, other, like, their idols or whatever, but, like, that's not, like, my place to judge, you know, like, oh, like, you like Madonna, like, you feel a connection with Madonna, and, like, I don't like Madonna, I'm not going to, like, you know, vil- as we are talking about, like, villainize you for that. It's, like, you know, a connection's a very personal thing, so I think that's something to take into consideration as well. Yeah, I think it's wonderful that you're able to make connections with all of these figures in history and uh, the the past uh, figures, the past individuals who have impacted society very heavily. Um, and, you know, the beauty about being human is that uh, even though we're all different on one level, we're also all fundamentally the same on another. And so we're able to both, 
you know, make different connections with different people and uh, understand what connections or the connections that other people make with their idols, as you said. Um, yeah. So, uh, Zara, real quick, I just I just want to know, you know, what kinds of connections do you think are the most special, uh, maybe to you or maybe to anyone? Yeah, um, I think, like, sort of those connections that, like, I think just, like, are special to you and the ones that sort of, like, you know, it's almost like when you, like, look across a classroom and your friends in the same classroom and, like, you just heard someone say something, like, weird or, like, something you don't agree with and kind of just, like, make a face with them. Like, those sort of, like, subtle connections, I think, are the most, like, special that you can't really explain, but, like, they're there and they make you feel happy and they make you feel hopeful. I think those are definitely the most um, special. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Those are the ones that you remember after class. <laughs> well, yeah. uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, thank you, Zara, for giving us such a great segment on hope and connectivity. That was so great. And we really were able to get a good insight into what you feel connection means to you and to the rest of the human population. Um, unfortunately, that is all the time we have. Audience support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity. That brings you this program. For more information on how to do this, go to bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Zara Hoffman. Again, head on over to our website at www.bethestarur.org during the break. Stay with us as we continue to discuss and make connections. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting, inspiring program. I'm Zara Hossinane, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. Today, we're continuing our lively conversation on the gift of connections. And I'm Brigitte Gia. We're lucky to be joined today by inspirational author and expert on maintaining lifelong connections, uh, Rabbi Ilana Zayman. Uh, Ilana's new book, The Forever Letter, teaches her readers the art of passing down life's wisdom in lasting, meaningful ways. The first woman ra- uh, rabbi from a family spanning six generations of rabbis, she spent her life bringing people together and now draws from the ancient Jewish tradition of the ethical will, where parents and elders share their values and wisdom with the next generation, to pen a book that brings this heartfelt and healing practice into the 21st century and make it relevant and accessible to value. Values driven um, have driven people of all ages, faiths, and cultures. Uh, 
Besides spreading her message in the Forever Letter, Ilana is the chaplain at the summit at First Hill Retirement Community in Seattle and is a certified wise aging instructor. She serves as the ethics and spirituality writer at Live Fun, a publication for leisure care retirement facilities in 10 states. As a volunteer, Ilana is a co-partner in Seattle Sewing Circles, bringing together Jews, Muslims, and Christians to create feminine hygiene kits for girls in Cameroon, Africa. With that, let's welcome Ilana onto the show. Hi, Ilana. Hi there, you all. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on. We're excited to have a great show about connection today. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to jump right in with a few questions for you and the work that you've done. Uh, and so, you know, we see from your background that you are a woman rabbi and you come from, uh, you know, you're the first in six generations of rabbis. So are women rabbis common today or, you know, um, are you one of a very few? Actually, no, we're, we're pretty common. We get more and more common as time goes on. Uh, in, in the movement that I'm part of, which is the conservative movement at where I was ordained, there are, um, it, we began to, they began to ordain women, uh, or the decision to ordain women began in, I think, 1984, and the first woman was ordained in 1985. Uh, and in the reform movement, which is slightly more liberal than the movement I'm part of, they began to ordain women in 1974. And so it's been quite a while. Um, at, when I was studying, I was still kind of on the newer newer end. I graduated in 1993, and it took a while because it takes five years to, to go through the program. So I was on the on the earlier end of the women rabbis who were being ordained. Um, but it's it's fairly common now. It's fairly common. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, nice. That's really cool. And so how did you um, transition from being a woman rabbi and um, being, you know, a religious um, guide to being an author? Ah... Uh. You know, I've always liked writing, and I've always wanted to write ever since I was young. And I worked really, really hard on writing uh, when I was in high school. And then I took all these different writing courses throughout rabbinical school and thereafter. And uh, have a writing mentor here in Seattle and joined a lot of different writing groups. And I had been working on this uh topic for a while and really thought it would it would make a great book but I write also some nonfiction, a little bit of fiction and and um so I it's always been a a piece of my life because it enables me to reflect and enables me to really get deep into my soul and I think sometimes that uh without putting pen to paper or hands to the keyboard and and really thinking about things more more carefully sometimes I don't um experience life in the depth of the way that I that I like to exactly yeah um I I definitely agree there I think writing is a form of really putting your soul on paper and you know it's funny I read this um this essay by a a young person I think he was under 18 um and it's titled uh, portrait of the art uh, of the young absurdist and he talks about writing as a sort of relief exactly like a sort of putting your story on paper and I think Definitely. The way you described it was very eloquent and very accurate. And so uh, just to shift off of that uh, real quick, um, 
you your uh, forever letter the forever letter is based around you know the ethical will tradition that I understand is uh, a pretty ancient Jewish tradition and you know these days people are all worked up about writing you know material wills and so um, why do you think this ethical will you know is it is it more important than the material will and how so so I think both are important, right? I mean, people need to have uh, a last will and testament so that their uh, belongings can go to where they need to go and so that the state doesn't overtake things that they want the people to have. And also, um, if they have minor children, they need to say who will be you know, in charge of those children. So the, uh, you know, a regular last will and testament is very important. A living will, by the way, is also important. That's a document where you uh, state your, you know, your desires medically should you be unable to make them at the time that they're needed. Um, an ethical will was um, from the stems from the medieval period in Jewish history, which was a, a period of a lot of different ethical texts. And one of the texts that it was available not just to the scholar but to the everyday person was really an ethical will, which was essentially writing a letter, and it was mostly fathers and then later mothers, but parents to children. And they would write when, you know, they were going off on a, um, you know, a, a journey and were afraid of their return. Sometimes they would write when the child was nearly, you know, a few born and then add to it after, over the years. And sometimes as they were, you know, approaching or felt to be approaching their death, they would begin to write uh, these documents. And what's interesting is in Hebrew, the term for these documents is called a tzvaot, tzvaot or da, and it means commandments. And many of these letters, though not all, were commandments, you know, follow this, do that. Um, you know, highlighting the, the pieces in tradition they wanted their, their children to follow. And some were superstitious and some were ritual and some were ethical. Uh, but that was the, 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 the reasoning behind it. And it was only in the early 1900s that there was a man named Israel Abrahams who came along and looked at these ancient texts and called his volume of these texts Hebrew ethical wills. And that's where we think the term ethical will comes from. So what's, what's hard about that term is people, when I would go teach around the country, I'd say, so I'm teaching on ethical wills. And I'd meet someone in like, you know, the train or at the airport. And they say, oh, that's interesting. I said, well, do you know what an ethical will is? And they would say, ah, yes, isn't that when you write your last will and testament ethically? And I'm like, no, but that's a great idea. <laughs> I explain that this is really just about writing letters passing on your values and wisdom and love. And so, um, mm. the, so I want to make a distinction between the ethical will and a forever letter. So I was inspired by these documents. And for years, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to um, utilize it in, in this other way. And because the ethical will is really about passing values downward. Um, in this world today, uh, it seems to me we need um, values passed in all directions and love passed in all directions and forgiveness passed in all directions. And so rather than this kind of a legacy letter that people are calling it these days, the forever letter is a letter anyone can write to anyone, siblings to one another, spouses to one another, children to parents. And it's a letter that really is a heartfelt letter of authenticity. So you state mm -hmm. your, you know, your what you love about the person you're writing to. It's about love, forgiveness, appreciation, 
a gratitude and, you know, being totally the authentic you that you are. And what do you most want to say to the person you're writing to? What do you most want to tell them about you? And how do you, what do you want to comment on in terms of the relationship? And um, mm-hmm. so that's, that's the piece. And oftentimes the ethical was left to be found after uh, someone died. Uh, and in this case, the forever letter, the encouraging piece is that you try to give it while you're still living, especially mm. in cases of forgiveness or anything. But let's say, you know, you, you give, you're having a little trouble with someone or, or there's an issue of forgiveness or something, you know, didn't go quite right. And then you write a letter and the beauty is the person can open it when they want. They can read it over numerous times. They can kind of take it in. And then it opens a door for a possible connection that might never have happened without that opening. Um, you know, you could certainly make a telephone call to someone. And mm-hmm. if you're, if you know, the person's really in a bad state or whatever, you know, they might not want to answer the phone or whatever. It's true, they might not open an envelope, but, you know... <laughs> There's a possibility. (laughs) And I I just want to say one more thing, which is, you know, given the events of what's going on in our country and the issues of all the violence and guns and and Nevada this this last week, um, I I look at Mm -hmm. that and I think, oh, my gosh, did, you know, people of all ages died. And I say to myself, gosh, did 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 the people you know, the, the people who are still living, do they have a chance to tell those people, their loved ones, what they felt about them, why they love them and honor mm-hmm, them yeah. and uplift them, you know? And did these people who died, had they been able to, to express their love and forgiveness and all of that with the people who remain? Because we just don't know how much time we have. And to, to connect with the people we love seems to me to be one of the most crucial things uh, that we can do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we definitely. just. Oh, go ahead. Go so, ahead. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Um, I think you know the idea of a forever letter is. I think um, the way you were describing it, the real power of it is that you know oftentimes we think that the connections that we make with other people um, sort of fade over time, and that you know um, you might make a connection with someone today, but who knows if that connection is going to be as strong tomorrow. Um, but I think the beauty of this, you know, the idea of the forever letter is that it really is an eternal connection to anyone, um, to whoever you love. Um, it really keeps the love alive even after, you know, even after you've passed. Um, so I think that's, you know, it's really beautiful that um, you got involved in that. So um, if someone did want to write a forever letter, how would you get started? How would you recommend that they get started? Well, you know, there are a few. In the book, I have different um, ideas for how to get started, different exercises to just kind of prime the pump. (laughs) uh, So that's a a good way for people who have trouble just sitting down and writing. Um, But I also, um, some people like to just start by putting, you know, deer on the page and put the name of the person they're writing to and just start. Uh, with the thought in mind that it's not, this is not a regular everyday letter. It's not just a letter passing on what I've done today. It's not just a letter saying hello. Uh, it's a letter of real depth and meaning. And 
an expression of, of self in the deepest sort of possible way. So sometimes we, we need a little help with, um, with getting that on the page. And so that's why these exercises are helpful just to get, to get, you know, to get the pen moving, to get the thoughts coming. And then you leave the exercises behind and then you start, you start a letter. But usually I start with, um, uh, what do they call like sentence completions? Because I find that to be so, you know, my the, the values I find most important are uh, the people in my life who were most meaningful to me are. I have a whole series, you know, of, of different types of beginnings that people can start with. And some pertain to the individual writing, some pertain to the person they're writing to, and some pertain to the uh, relationship between the two. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, sometimes it is the hardest thing to really begin a letter. And uh, that's great that the book has these starting points that people can go off of. Um, and so, Ilana, this has been a brilliant interview with you, um, or the first part anyway, because we'll be continuing on to the next segment. Uh, we are out of time for this segment, but we'll be continuing with our discussion in the next. And so, audience, please do head over to ilanazayman.com and and Zayman is spelled Z-A-I-M-A-N to learn more about Ilana and her book, The Forever Letter. And visit our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, blogs, and more. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Zara Hoffman. Also, please visit our charity site at bethestarur.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestarur. We'll be back with Ilana and the Forever Letter and Connection in our next segment. So stay tuned. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Brigitte and our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. For this edition of Express Yourself, we are continuing our fascinating conversation regarding our theme, the gift of connection. And I'm Zara Hoffman. Back with us in this third, third segment is featured guest Rabbi Ilana Zayman. Ilana has graced the general public with her new book, The Forever Letter, in which she helps readers connect with their family and friends in a meaningful way through messages to impart one's values 
articulate feelings, and deepen relationships. In the Forever Letter, Ilana has transformed the um, little-known Jewish tradition of writing an ethical will into an important tool, the Forever Letter, for anyone to use. She shows us not only the origins of this tradition, but also gives specific practical guidance and encouragement on writing our own letters. The book gives us the opportunity to discover Ilana's personal stories, examples from her favorite from her Forever Letter workshops and related wisdom from literature, philosophy, and psychology. The Forever Letter will lead you on the path to profound change in how you see yourself and others. Ilana herself speaks and teaches regularly at synagogues, churches, interfaith gatherings, social service agencies, geriatric residencies, women's organizations, and elder law health care, and financial and estate planning conferences. Over the years, Ilana has served as a rabbi at Park Avenue Synagogue in Manhattan, uh, in the Manhattan Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle, and Congregation Beth Israel um, in Vancouver. With that, let's welcome Ilana back onto the show. Hi, Ilana. Hello again. Um, yeah, so just continuing from um, the other segment, um, we were talking about how to sort of get started on uh, writing forever letters. Um, but so what would your advice be to someone who might not like writing that much, who um, might not even like showing their emotions that much, or who, um, you know, is a little bit more reserved? What would your tips be for them on writing forever letters? Well, so there's a few things. There are people who um, who think they don't want to write or, do, or don't feel they have to write because they feel they're living their life. And if someone doesn't know who they are, then, you know, why bother writing? <laughs> so that's one <laughs> issue. And the truth of the matter is it's still important because at some point uh, that person will no longer be around. Uh, and maybe, you know, and we want to hear their voice. And how important is that? And I've had people say to me, well, I'm not a writer, you know, or I don't have, my English is not my first language. And, you know, and, and, and there's no one that you need to sound like. It's not like you have to sound like, you know, Shakespeare. It's the, when you write the letter, the people you're writing to, they want you to sound like you. So if you have an accent and you say something like, you know, um, I love you instead of I love you, and someone were to write it down because maybe you don't have English as your first language and they write down love, then when the person is reading it, they're like, oh, this totally sounds like my grandmother, right? And that's, <laughs> that's what they want. They want to hear the voice of the person who's writing. It's not, a, it's not like, oh, we need to sound like someone else. So um, I just encourage if someone is not a writer, uh, not to worry because it's their voice, the person they're writing to wants to hear, and it's their, their soul, really. And that's what's important. It's not. It's not about this being, you know, the the magnum opus. Um, so, so that's that's a big piece, and that that does sometimes help. And and if it if it's something that they want to say and they need help, they ask someone they trust and value to to um, look at it. Yeah. So that that's that's a guide. That's a guide. Now I have a question for I have a question for you both of you. What if you know if you were thinking of writing a forever letter today? Who who would you who would you write to? I hmm. I think I would 
Yeah, I would write it to my parents probably. I was I was thinking about uh, my parents specifically when you were talking about the voice because they they are first uh, generation immigrants, and so my dad wrote me a a little blurb for you know me and my college counselor like what I've done these years because I am a senior, so uh, the school mandates it. But um, he wrote it you know in his he, English is his second language, and it was in his tone, and I like heard his voice when mm-hmm. I read about all the words that he used to describe mm-hmm. me. And, you know, I think I'd address it to them. Um, I, I need to start writing one, honestly, because um, they've they've worked really hard to uh, ensure that I've had a good life and I've had a good education. Um, and so I think I need to convey that to them, my grateful uh, mm-hmm. gratefulness, my appreciation. And, so, and what, are, what are some of the values that you learned from them and what did you gain from them? You can also put that in the letter. Like, here's what you absolutely. here's what you taught me. Here are lessons I learned from you. And without those lessons. Right. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't get to be where, where I am, which is amazing. Sometimes immigrant parents feel that they're not, um, you know, that they're not as well respected or things like that. Yeah. And, and you know they they work so hard to give their mm-hmm. kids uh, an up in the world and to to have that acknowledged and to be loved for who they are and their amazingness is incredible. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, I think like I don't know if I was to write a forever letter. I think yeah, definitely maybe like to my parents. Um, like I would write one. And I think the I think the values that. Um, you know, one of the like strongest values that they've drilled into me at a very young age, kind of like you were saying, is to you know respect your elders. Like that's always been a huge thing in my family, and I think that's something that like you know I used to sort of think of it as a nuisance, as something that you know like oh like why do I have to respect my elders? I don't agree with them, and like blah blah blah. Um, but as I get older, I kind of you know when I see like some other people talking to their parents like in a really rude manner, it really does kind of make me think, well, I mean, like, you know, these people really did raise you. They, like, gave you everything. Like, there's really no reason to be rude to them. And so I think I'd want to convey in that forever letter, if I was to write one to my parents, that, you know, that value is going to be preserved even after they're gone. Um, I think um, also, though, it's kind of interesting because, like, it depends on, like, who you're writing your letter to. Like, I feel like I'd say that in a letter that I was writing to my parents, but, like, maybe if I was writing to my elder sister who, like, you know, my, I have, like, a sister who's, like, 10 years older than me. And if I was writing one to her, then I think one of the values I would probably, like, um, say in the letter is, like, responsibility. Because, like, I remember when I was little, like, she took care of me all the time. Like, she was always looking out for, like, um, me mm-hmm. and my, like, other siblings, like, all the time. So I think, like, one of the values that I would definitely, like, hone in that letter is, you know, the gift of responsibility. Um, so I think it's actually really cool how, like, depending on the sort of connection you have with someone, your forever letter um, may take, like, a really different form and may have different contents in it. Um, but what about what about you? What kind of forever letter would you write and what kind of values would you contain in yours? Well, I've, I've, I wrote one. Uh, I started when I – my first one was to my son when he was six and a half and I was 44. So this was about – um, wow, this was about 10 years ago. And um, I, you know, I was teaching on the topic for a long time. In fact, I hadn't coined the term forever letter yet. I was still calling everything ethical wills, even though it was going in all directions. It didn't quite work, but I couldn't find the right title. And uh, so I was teaching somewhere and a man came up to me and he said, um, with these big eyes, and he looks me straight in the eye, he said, you're asking us all to do this. Have you written an ethical will yet? 
And I looked at him and I said, no. He said, well, don't you think you should? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I said, you're right, I should. And I then went home and I, uh, I had my own excuses. Everyone has excuses. I had, oh, he's too young. I have many more years and this and this. Finally, I, I did it. And I sat down and I just started writing. Uh, and I put his name on the page. And as soon as I put his name on the page, I just began crying. Because what I realized was, you know, there is a sense of urgency to this letter. In other words, to make this letter different, when I sat down, I was imagining, what if I'm no longer alive? What do I most want to say to him uh, that just in case I can't say it in words, I will say it in writing? And to imagine myself no longer living um, and to imagine myself no longer seeing this beautiful being grow up um, made me really pause. And it took me many different drafts, and that's something that I talk about. But what, you know, what was it that I most, most wanted to say? And, you know, the cool thing about this discovery, at least when writing as a parent to a child, was that um, I saw my, my imagination of who I wanted to be as a mother. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to, you know, whatever it is that I'm going to do. Uh, you know, I look back at the things that I'm doing, and I'm like, well, uh-oh. I didn't do all the things I wanted to do. I, I did not follow through on things. Am I really living my values? Am I really who I think I am? And that was astounding. And so it enabled me to think through things and to say, okay, if I'm not doing what I thought I would do, uh, does that mean that I'm failing? Does that mean that my values have changed? Uh, and so it made me look at things really differently. And by, by going depthfully within, this is kind of what happens. It's like, who am I? And what am I doing? And am I really being the me that I think I am? Wow, I love that, that, you know, you can sit down and write a letter to someone else and then end up looking at yourself in such a, such a perspective, kind of gaining the the picture of yourself that is who you are currently and then seeing where you can go with that i i need to sit down now and do that with <laughs> i need to do that that's it's such a good way to look at both your relationship with someone else and yeah yourself as you said you know who you are today what you hope to become and so you mentioned you know like um age and you know looking at yourself um, as if you would be gone and not be able to see your son grow up. And so, you know, how do people know when they're finished writing their forever letters? So let me just come back to that because I want to just go on something else you said, which was uh, it's a double gift. So it's a gift for the person you're writing to and your relationship, right? Because the idea is uh, appreciation and uplift uh, and forgiveness and and it's also a gift for yourself because you end up learning about more about you and about the relationship when you write. So it really has a double, a double uh, feel to it, uh, which I just wanted to highlight. And remind me of the question you just asked because the other one came into my mind. That was, that's a great insight, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, I was going to ask, um, you know, how do people know when they're finished oh, writing right. their forever letters? So... Um, you know, there's there's different ways. Do you ever know when you're really finished? You know, you really sit down, you write and write. And then I suggest that people, uh, well, I do suggest people do some exercises first. And I suggest that at some point people type up these exercises and then put them in a drawer. And then I suggest people set aside about an hour and a half and just begin to write without exercises in front of them. They just start writing 
And then they put that aside too. They type it up and put it aside and uh, come back to it uh, about a month later. But because you've started the writing process, different things come to mind. So you'll have little notes that you'll write to yourself that you'll plop in the file. And then eventually you'll go you'll go through it and you'll just sit down and, and kind of write again. And that's kind of the process. I, I think it takes some time. And you want to make sure that the tone that you've written in is a tone that's a good tone because sometimes, you know, we're not always in the best of moods and we want to make sure when we read it that it really expresses who we are. And so I have ideas and guidelines in the book for how to go about doing that and reading it from different perspectives to make sure it's really um, what you want to say and what the person can hear. Because how do you write so that someone can hear? And that is also some of the guidance in the book of, of how, you know, how is something heard? What tone is it? And those are things that we need to keep in mind, you know, as we write. Exactly. And I, think it's, I just want to say, I think it's so important that, uh, you know, for parents writing to children, you know, it's, it's, you know, that's more common. But kids writing to parents, you know, we think, oh, well, what do they want to hear from us? And I was just uh, doing a session at a retirement community and there was a man there it was a it was a I, the book has just recently come out and they were selling the book that night and this man bought uh, he was, he was, I think he's in his early 90s he bought four copies and I said to him four copies what are you getting four copies for he was, well I'm getting one for me and I'm getting three for my children uh, and then he said he has a big smile on his face he gives a little chuckle and he says I want them to write me letters oh Right. And so it's, it goes all directions and a spouse getting a letter from a spouse, a friend who's going through a hard time. Uh, another friend can write and share some of their own hard times so that the person feels less alone. There's so many ways to, to go about this, uh, which is just so beautiful. And I got started on this actually because my dad uh, wrote a letter to us uh, when I was a kid. And that's really what got me started on this whole thing because I saved it. I saved it. Uh, and I keep going back to it. My father's still alive. And he handed it to me one day when he came home from, he's a rabbi too, from the synagogue. And he said, one of these is mine, guess which one. And it was this whole, it was kind of a process. But I, I remember going into the den to read it. And I just cried and cried. And because it was my father putting himself on the page. And that to me was just amazing, especially because he was this congregational rabbi, very well respected. Uh, and there was an illusion, I think, and there was maybe less so today, but with clergy, there's this illusion that, you know, if you're clergy, a priest or a rabbi or an imam, you're perfect, right? And so but he was being himself on the page and sharing his weaknesses. And I'm like, wow, my dad gets that he's human because I wasn't sure that I knew yeah. that he was human either. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, um, I'm sorry to have to interject now. We are uh, running short of time, but that okay. is absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, we, we do have to remember sometimes that, um, you know, people are human and it's, you know, it's absolutely wonderful that you were able to make that connection with your father. And so thanks so much, Ilana, for this wonderful conversation. Again, unfortunately, we are out of time. No uh, I would love to have <laughs> heard more of that story. Uh, audience, during the break, be sure to check out our 501c3 literacy and positive media charity at bethestarur.org. Uh, more information is under events at btsya.org. And remember, guys, Be The Star You Are has set up donations for the hurricane and fire disaster relief at btsya.org. So please visit and donate to those in need. I'm Brigitte Gia. And I'm Zara Hassanay. 
Make sure to go to www.elanazaman.com. That's E-L-A-N-A-Z-A-I-M-A-N.com to find out more about Ilana and the Forever Letter. Visit www.expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information about our show. When we come back, we'll be continuing our inspiring conversation on the gift of connection. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. The longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Zara Hoffman, and our program is Express Yourself. And today's hour is all about the gift of connection. And I'm Brigitte Gia. So after the privilege of interviewing author Ilana Zayman about her new book, The Forever Letter, on maintaining connections with others, I thought I'd introduce some of my own ideas about the gift of connection and what it really means to me. And so... Um, just to begin off somewhere, because you've always got to start somewhere, as we learned with Ilana's mm-hmm. yeah. uh, book and the Forever Letter, uh, I'd like to begin with orchestra and connectivity through music. And so I've been playing the violin for about 10 years now. And throughout those 10 years, I've had the privilege of meeting all sorts of people and connecting with all different ver- uh, individuals through music. And I think Nowadays, we connect through words, we connect through social media, um, and we connect through all of these different things. And I feel like the the connection that music allows us has been neglected uh, in some ways, especially classical music. We see that a lot of kids find classical music uncool or nerdy or not enjoyable. And so we've kind of lost that of connectivity and you know if you look at the uh it, the history behind classical music specifically and um connection you can see that people used to connect over the nuances of classical music um in a way that seems now to me um deeper than uh how people do it now and so a lot of Music has small nuances, small details that you really have to look for. And in looking for those details, I found myself making more connections, making deeper connections with people. And I think that maybe we should bring that back. Because in the old days, you could go to a live performance, a live classical music performance with a friend and pick apart the key that the music was in or, you know, what this specific key 
um, you know, this musical key um, that the piece was in meant because a lot of the different musical keys that pieces were written in, uh, the number of shards and flats that all of these pieces had and the tone of the music, um, each key had an assigned kind of mood or tone that people associated it with. And you could go to a concert or a premiere of a classical piece and talk about the connotations of whatever key the piece was in with your friend and with whoever was around you. And that was a point of connection that was made back then that I don't see made as often now. Um, a lot of the times when we when we think of classical music, we think, oh, Mozart and Beethoven, and they're great. You know, they're they were musical geniuses, and their pieces have a lot of feeling behind them. Um, but we don't really see past the name nowadays. We don't see past the name Tchaikovsky or or Shostakovich or Saint Saens, and we only see the name that the piece is in. We aren't able to really go around that. So for me, playing the violin, and uh, especially I'm in a lot of youth orchestras as well, and I play in the school orchestra, um, I've been allowed a whole world of connection with peers who also play in youth orchestras and in school orchestra um, over some of the pieces and some of the smaller nuances behind the piece. And so I'm in the Young People's Symphony Orchestra in uh, Northern California, and we're a pretty big group. There's a uh, hundred odd individuals, and I am a first violin, and I have a lot of fun with my section, and I make a lot of connections just by being in the orchestra. Then our conductor actually is, he was the, I think he's the former assistant uh, conductor for the San Francisco Symphony. And he's, he's very, very wise. He's, I think he's around 60 or 70 years old. And so he's gained all of this knowledge about music, about the small nuances. And even though our age differences between, you know, the age differences between him and the orchestra are so large, where these where these teens and preteens uh, that are sitting there with our instruments, just looking at him and waiting for his uh, baton to move. And he's uh, an older individual who's gained so much wisdom about music, but we're able to connect with him because we both share this mutual love for music and this mutual understanding of the small nuances, the small details of the music that we're playing. You know what's interesting about music is that, or about playing in an orchestra, and in an orchestra you get access to all of this repertoire, um, all of the very, all of the really famous pieces. Like uh, we played in YPSO, we played Carmina Burana, the whole thing. It was incredible, and we played. The Elgar variations, we played uh, the Saint-Saëns Concerto Number no. 3 in C minor. Uh, we played all these fantastic pieces, Rachmaninoff symphonic dances. Uh, we're playing the Tchaikovsky Fourth uh, Symphony right now, and we're going to play Stravinsky's Firebird. And uh, you get access to all this repertoire, all this diverse repertoire from different eras, um, from different composers. And in a sense, you're able to really connect with the composer as well, not just with the people playing around you, not just with the conductor, but with the person who wrote the music through the little nuances and details of the classical piece. And uh, I'll bring up an example. Uh, Tchaikovsky was an individual whose uh, personal history was very bleak. Um, he was he was a you know he was the m 
biggest Russian composer uh, in a time when Russia was very, very strict in a lot of its policies. And uh, Tchaikovsky was openly homosexual, and he wasn't able to gain um, not only recognition, he wasn't able to gain equality, right? He was treated differently. It was, it was a blot on his uh, record, or that's what the Russian government thought of it, uh, thought of his sexuality. So he had a very troubled life, and his music is all of his emotions. It's poured into the pieces, and especially in the fourth symphony, it's this sadness that you really feel um, that kind of embodied his life, really, and you get that through the music. Um, but it's also really interesting because the fourth symphony that we're playing right now, Tchaikovsky's fourth, is is a piece that he wrote when he was making a connection with uh, a friend of his, a sponsor, this lady at court who uh, had her own marital troubles and they both um, were, they were communicating via letter and they had both agreed. I, I don't know why, but they had both agreed maybe because of the drama uh, in her love life as well, that they would never meet each other in person. And so they just communicated through these letters over the years and, there's all of these records between the two of them that really documented both their lives and the relation between them, uh, the relationship between them. They were great friends and the lady loved his music and what he did as a composer. So he wrote this fourth symphony while that correspondence was just beginning. And so you get glimpses of in the music of what this correspondence meant to him, what her sponsorship of his music meant to him. And so basically what, how I think of the fourth symphony that we're playing right now in YPSO is this symphony that's really about connections, that's really about his making his own connection, maybe about uh, us as an orchestra making a connection with him and with our conductor who actually uh, told us this story uh, while we were all in full rehearsal. And so I'm kind of um, reciting it verbatim from uh, what he said in in class or in rehearsal. It's not exactly a class, but um, I think on the whole, music is a really good opportunity to make connections with people and make connections the music, essentially. And nowadays, we really lose that. And there are pieces like Tchaikovsky's Fourth Symphony and uh, all of these different pieces that have a lot of emotion in them that you can learn a lot from and that you can play with your peers that are neglected now. And I think that we definitely need to bring that back is the, is the real importance here. And, you know, uh, just... It's really good to have music in your life because music gives you connections between uh, you and others, between you and the piece that you're playing. And I think that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely agree. I agree with everything you just said. Thank you so much. That was so informative. And so, um, you know, I'm so glad we were able to connect with you in this way. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. That was fantastic. Sadly, it is time to say farewell. We give our thanks to Star Style Productions. Cynthia Bryan, be the star you are, and our Voice America Kids group, especially our engineer, Matt. Thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. I'm Zara Hassanin. And I'm Brigitte, Brigitte Gia, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, go to expressyourselfteenradio.com and our main site at bethestarur.org. Until next week.
member. Find, connect with those around you, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself